Welcome to the Mama Civit Podcast, Birth Story Friday. In today's episode, Carly is going to be sharing her unplanned induction birth story due to low amniotic fluid. Carly got an epidural and she had a vaginal birth after she'd been laboring for two plus days. So she got an epidural when it was not her plan and she shares about how she decided that this was the best option for her. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama Sifid podcast. In Carly's birth story, she's going to talk about how she was induced due to having low amniotic fluid. So Roxy, can you discuss what a low amniotic fluid even means? So low amniotic fluid is called oligohydramnios and then too much amniotic fluid would then be polyhydramnios. But this is where they will measure using an ultrasound and you will have like less than five units of fluid on the ultrasound. This can be related to an actual issue with baby. So amniotic fluid is basically baby's pee. So this means that baby is like one, they're eating the amniotic fluid and then they pee it out. So there could be like an actual issue where baby is just not peeing enough amniotic fluid out. And that's why there is not enough amniotic fluid. Or it could be just like a normal occurrence. So after 37 weeks, our amniotic fluid volume gradually decreases. So it could be completely fine. But... Amniotic fluid is the cushion for babies. So if there is low amniotic fluid, it can increase the risk of some sort of injury to the umbilical cord, which could then lead to injury to baby. So that is why they normally will recommend induction whenever oligohydramnios is found. It also can be linked, though, to your hydration status. So if you are dehydrated or are intaking less fluid than your body is wanting or needing, this could also cause your amniotic fluid volume to be lower. So a question that you can ask is, hey, can I either get IV fluids or can I like drink a ton of water and re-measure in 24 hours before moving straight to an induction can be a question that I've seen some providers like be on board with doing versus going straight to an induction. Because sometimes this oligohydramnios can be found at 37 weeks or even 38 weeks. Even though your term, your body might not be ready at that time, it also can be found as early as like 32 or 34 weeks sometimes. So then what is the difference between your water breaking and having low amniotic fluid? Because wouldn't that mean that you have less fluid or the same risks involved there? So a difference between like your water breaking and you like having less fluid that way versus oligohydramnios. Oligohydramnios means that like the total amount of fluid with the sac intact is less and your baby is not producing more fluid to refill the sac in a way. Whereas when your water breaks, not all of the fluid has come out. So whereas when your water breaks, but you have a normal amount of amniotic fluid, your baby is still peeing to create more amniotic fluid to provide that cushion during labor. 
Whereas with oligo, you do not know when your body is going to go into labor. So it could be today you go into labor. It could also be like two weeks from now that you go into labor where the amniotic fluid volume is just continuing to drop that that causes an issue. So if your provider is recommending an induction and it maybe is not your birth plan, it's always helpful to ask a lot of questions. Hey, what are the benefits of being induced right now? Why are you recommending an induction for me? What are the risks of being induced? What are the risks of continuing my pregnancy with your recommendation for induction? Are there any alternatives for me? What options do I have during the induction? What is your gut telling you? Do you feel confident that you have enough information to make the best decision for you? It doesn't necessarily have to be the decision that you like. You may not want to be induced, but you feel confident with that you have enough information to make a decision in either direction. And then what happens if you do nothing? If you just continue your pregnancy, what are the risks and benefits associated with that? So if your provider is recommending something for you, the answer is not automatically no, I will not do that, which can be very helpful to have a conversation with them to better understand their reasoning if you don't feel confident to make a decision in either direction. Before we get into Carly's story, let's hear from one of you that shared your birth story with us and how Mama Say Fit helped them have a positive birth experience. So I only have positive things to say about the prenatal fitness program. Not only was I feeling strong during my pregnancy, I'm also 100% sure it helped me while I was giving birth. The fact that they're not just safe exercises to do while pregnant, but also designed to help with the birthing process in mind makes a huge difference. I knew how to breathe, I knew how to relax my pelvic floor, how to push, I only pushed for 30 minutes, barely tore, and my first baby was only eight pounds. Their birthing class was also super helpful for me and my husband. I had planned a natural birth in a birth center, but I had to be induced. My waters ruptured for 24 hours with no signs of labor and the risk of infection. Although it was nothing like I planned for, my husband and I were able to remain calm. I knew how to position myself for an epidural, my choice after hours of back labor, and we knew what were the procedures for the induction. I knew how to move to help the process, how to push, etc. What could have been a very stressful event was actually quite positive, and I highly recommend both the prenatal fitness program and the childbirth education course. And so if you're interested in our prenatal fitness programs and our childbirth education course, you can bundle them together to save 15%. And as a thank you for listening to the birth stories, you can use code STORY10 to save an additional 10% off of the programs. You can check out all of our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education courses on our website at mamasafefit.com. And there's even a quiz there to help you figure out which prenatal program may be the best option for you. So let's go ahead and get into Carly's birth story. Welcome to the Mama Say Fit podcast. Today we have Carly here who is going to be sharing her birth story. And she actually took the Mama Say Fit childbirth education course during her pregnancy. And she also did our pelvic stability program and then is currently doing our postpartum program. So thanks for being here, Carly. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So tell us, how did you prepare for birth? I was definitely doing a lot of searching just on like Google and Instagram and stuff like that. And that's how I came across your page. And just from following some of your like reels and your blogs and stuff, I became really interested in learning more about the pelvic floor and how important that is for birth. And also, I've always been really interested in childbirth and everything. So I didn't want to just take the standard like hospital courses that were offered to us. We did take those and they were informative, but I wanted more of a like unconventional approach, like things that they don't necessarily tell you in those courses. We took your childbirth education class, so my husband and I took that together, 
and we would watch the videos and go through the handouts and we would like bring questions to our next like OBGYN appointment. So we learned so much from like the biomechanics of the pelvis and how to use different movements and positions during labor and delivery based on where baby is in the pelvis, which I just found that information to be so incredible because no one really talks about that. Like, I feel like the doctors don't even really know what you're talking about when you say like, you know, external rotation versus asymmetrical or internal. We practiced a lot of those positions during pregnancy, like together. And we also practiced the counter pressure techniques. And then we kind of put together a booklet of like all the handouts with the pictures to reference during delivery, which I was like, this is your job <laughs> to my husband because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to think of, think about this. Um, so he did a great job. He didn't even really need the booklet. So he had everything like memorized and knew what to do. So those were two things that we did to prepare. And then I also read a lot of your blogs and information on how to modify exercises during pregnancy, especially those core exercises, because I really wanted to maintain my activity level, but I wanted to do it safely. So those were also very helpful in preparing. That's awesome. So did you develop any sort of pelvic pain during your pregnancy and why you took our pelvic stability course? I was very lucky that I didn't. I just kind of wanted to like learn how to do the diaphragmatic breathing because that's something I had never really focused on before. And then something else you had talked about was how it's like equally important to relax your pelvic floor and not necessarily just like, you know, everyone's like Kegels, Kegels, Kegels. So um, just learning how to actually relax because I feel like that's more of what I needed. So those breathing exercises and those mobility exercises, I think, just really helped me throughout pregnancy. And maybe that's why I didn't have any pelvic pain. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also realizing that you told me you took our prepare your pelvic floor for a birth yes. course, not the pelvic stability. So I'm all mixed up right now. Oh, that's OK. <laughs> so for folks that are listening, Carly took our prepare your pelvic floor for birth course, which does incorporate a lot of breathing exercises and mobility to help you learn how to relax your pelvic floor, which is super important as we prepare for birth. So how did you go about choosing a provider and where you wanted to give birth during your pregnancy? So it was kind of like, you know, we found out we were expecting and everything just happened so quickly. I kind of leaned more towards like, oh, I really would like to consider a home birth or like a birth center. And then my husband was very much like, no way, like we need to be in the hospital because you never know what's going to happen. This is our first baby. So I was like, OK, let me look around for a practice. So I just searched for some practices that were local and one that I found also had midwives in the practice. So I felt more comfortable knowing that. And I was like, OK, I'll go for my first appointment. And if I don't feel like, you know, I vibe with them, then we'll look for somewhere else. And when I went there, my first appointment went really well. So I just felt comfortable staying there, knowing that we were going to go to a hospital to have labor and delivery. They were really great because a lot of times I feel like doctors probably don't like listen to all the questions you have or you don't have very long appointments. But I never felt rushed in any of my appointments like they were always willing to answer all of my questions and I never felt like pushed out the door. So I was really happy with the practice. Let's talk about the end of your pregnancy and going into labor. How how was that for you? So my pregnancy itself was super smooth. It was great. At 36 weeks, I did test positive for GBS. So we did decide to do the antibiotics during delivery. So that was like my first kind of like hiccup. 
And then as I approached my due date, there wasn't really any like signs of anything happening. And I had my 40-week appointment. It was kind of like two days before I was actually 41 weeks. And that's when they brought up induction and like getting something scheduled on the calendar. And my plan was for like an unmedicated, no slash low intervention birth. So I was like, oh, absolutely not. This isn't anything that I want. You know, we really don't want you to go past 41 weeks and three days. Like, let's just get something on the calendar. So we did for that following Sunday. But they were like, you know, no one can force you to come to the hospital. But this way, like something is on the calendar. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely going into labor before then. But then they suggested doing the non-stress test since I was approaching 41 weeks. So on that Thursday, we went in for that early in the morning and the non-stress test was fine. Like baby passed in like eight minutes. So I had to sit there for the full 30 minutes because that's protocol. But like he was doing great. He wasn't in stress or anything. When they measured my amniotic fluid, it came back really low. So that's when they recommended induction I was like, well, what do you mean (laughs) that you just want to walk me down to the hospital right now? So I had done a little bit of research on um, like amniotic fluid measurements before we went, because I know a lot of times people are induced for that and it's not maybe always necessary. So I wanted to be prepared with asking the questions of like, you know, like, how did you measure it? Because I think there's two different ways you can measure it, like the overall level versus like the deepest pocket so I asked the doctor all of those questions and they were like, no matter what, like we're basically recommending induction. So I did tell them I'm going home first because we didn't have our hospital bags or anything like that. So we did go home. We packed up more things because you never know how long induction is going to take. I, of course, was like Googling frantically in the car, like doing some research just to make sure that it was the right decision before we actually went back. At that point, I was very like upset because... My, like, plan for the unmedicated low intervention birth was basically being turned around to, like, well, now it's going to be full of interventions. So I was taking some time to, like, kind of take that in because that was a total pivot from what I was wanting. So let's get into your birth story then. So you made it to the hospital after frantically packing your bags. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were packed, but they were not packed for, like, being there for an induction. So we got to the hospital and got checked in. And they went over my birth preferences with me. So it was nice that that we brought the copies and they went over everything. They did tell me I would have to be continuously monitored because of the low amniotic fluid. So that part I was like, oh, man, I really didn't want to do that. But they ended up having a new wireless monitor. So they were able to just put that on my stomach so I could like walk around freely, which was amazing because when I first got there and was hooked up to the continuous monitors that weren't wireless, I was like, I really can't move more than two feet from the bed. Like this is not going to (laughs) work. So having that wireless monitor was really awesome. They had a birthing suite there for people planning to go unmedicated. So it had a tub, it had a birthing stool, a birthing chair, which was like my husband could sit behind me and they had like a exercise ball that like sat on this platform in front of it. And then it had like a big like scarf material that I could like pull on. So like that was really cool that they had this like fancy birthing chair in there. My mom was also there. So I was allowed to have two support people during uh, labor. So they were both my mom and my husband were both there. When I got in, they did the saline lock. So I'd wanted to do 
I didn't want IV fluids. So they were okay with that as long as I had that saline lock in there. And then when my doctor came in and checked me, it was probably around 3.30. I was only about like half a centimeter to a centimeter dilated and like only slightly effaced. So she recommended starting with Cervidil because she said I wasn't really dilated enough to do any kind of like mechanical intervention. So I was okay with that because I knew that that one could at least be like pulled out if like I didn't respond well or if the baby didn't respond well. And she was like, yeah, so this is about, this takes like 12 hours. So we'll check you again in 12 hours and see what happens. I wasn't really feeling anything yet. I had brought my exercise ball, like a yoga mat and a yoga block. So we kind of were just like hanging out. I was bouncing on the ball. I was doing different stretches and exercises on the yoga mat and the yoga block. And then around 1130 that night, I was like, okay, I should probably try to sleep because I know they're going to be in here at 3 a.m. to check me. I'm not kidding. As soon as I went to lay down in bed, contractions like started. So they were (laughs) definitely, I was like, oh, great. Now I'm not going to sleep. So they were very bearable. It wasn't anything crazy, but it wasn't anything I could sleep through. And I definitely needed to be up and moving. So being in the bed was just super uncomfortable. So I just started doing like bouncing on the ball and doing different stretches and exercises throughout the contractions. And they weren't like super consistent, but maybe like every five to seven minutes. So it was enough that like I definitely wasn't sleeping. So then when they checked me around 3 a.m. that morning, I was only like a centimeter. (laughs) So I was like, are you kidding me? I just had this Cervidil for 12 hours and I feel like I just had a few hours of contractions and I'm a centimeter. So the doctor then recommended Cytotech to try. So she inserted that and then they were like, "Okay, we'll be back to check you again in the morning. The doctors monitored my contraction pattern. They ended up giving me another dose of the Cytotech around 12 p.m. the next day because my contractions, while they had picked up, started to become more like irregular and spaced out. So I really did like that they kind of monitored the pattern and didn't just like force the Cytotech every because it could be every four to six hours, I think they can give it to you. So it was nice that they weren't giving me the doses until like things were spacing out and things like that. But throughout the day, things were intensifying. I definitely could talk through the contractions, but I needed to be moving. I needed to be on the ball. I needed to be squatting, things like that. My husband did a lot of the counter pressure. So that really helped a lot as like a comfort measure. Then they checked me again around 4.30 that afternoon and I had made some more progress. So I was two centimeters <laughs> and 80% effaced. So at this time, they recommended starting the penicillin for being GBS positive. I don't know why we started it, which seems now so early in the process, but I was like, oh, maybe they think like active labor is going to kick in soon and that's why they're starting the penicillin. But I ended up with eight doses of penicillin. So <laughs> that did not happen. So it was nice that I only had to be hooked up to the IV for those like 15 to 20 minutes of the penicillin. And then they would unhook me and I had the freedom to move around without the IV pole. So I really did like that. Contractions were definitely getting more intense at this point. I was starting to feel like pretty exhausted from not sleeping at all the previous night or the previous day. And that's when I kind of started to space out more between contractions. So my mom was like, well, why don't we try the shower at this point? Because I had kind of been putting that off until I felt like, oh, I'm going to be like really wanting to get in the shower. The shower felt amazing. (laughs) 
We were in there for like at least 30 minutes because it was really helping with the pain. But soon the drain started to back up. So we were like, I guess we should get out of the shower. So we did. And then I went to the bathroom and flushed the toilet and then the water started coming up. So we were like, what is going on? So we told the nurse and then they had maintenance come in and the guy flushed the toilet like three times and then the bathroom floor is just flooded in water. So there was some kind of plumbing issue, even though this was a brand new building that had been open for like three weeks. Now it's closer to 10 o'clock at night. I'm sitting here like moaning through these contractions. Maintenance is coming up with like shop vacs to clean up the bathroom. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, you have to move rooms. And I was like, what? I can't lose like the birthing chair and stuff like that. But they offered to move everything. The only thing that they couldn't move was the tub because that's the only room with the tub. And I wasn't allowed to use the tub anyway. I was like, okay, just like let me sit here and get through these contractions. They had to clean the room up and then they moved us. And right before they moved us, the doctor came in to check me one more time. And that was around 1030. And she gave me another dose of the Cytotec. So contractions at this point were like really intense and I was passing out in between them. There there was like a chair. I would sit in the chair. I'd get through the contraction and then literally like fall asleep for two or three minutes before the next one would kick in. So around one o'clock that morning, I was five to six centimeters dilated and 80 percent effaced. And that was the point I started questioning like can I do this? (laughs) I was like, if it took this long, which it was like a little over a full 24 hours of contractions to get to five to six centimeters, like how long is it going to take me to get to 10? And how am I going to have like any energy to push or anything like that? So that's when I did ask the doctor, like, what's the cutoff point for an epidural? Because I just wanted to know my options, even though I really didn't want to get the epidural. And she was like, there really is no cutoff point. So as long as you can sit through it, you know, sit through the contractions to get it in, then you're fine. So over the next couple hours, I really like debated it, but decided around like three in the morning that I was going to get the epidural. I just was really tired and was so exhausted. And I was like, I just can't deal with this anymore. So I kind of felt like a little bit defeated because I had really wanted to not get the epidural. But at the same time, I was like, I wasn't expecting to be induced and kind of like, you know, forcing my body to do something I wasn't necessarily ready for. And I know that I that sometimes the epidural can help you like relax and get the energy and the rest that you need for your baby to, you know, move down the pelvis and for you to have the energy to push and everything like that. So they got that epidural in around four in the morning. And man, that was like being on a cloud. <laughs> it was the best feeling in the world at that point. I fell asleep pretty much like immediately. And then my mom and my husband were able to fall asleep because they had been up with me the whole time, too. So everybody got some much needed rest. And I was really glad that I had at least made it to that point without the epidural because I still feel like I got to you know, move around, do all the different labor positions and everything that we had prepared for and we had practiced. So I was glad that I had waited as long as I did, but I wasn't as upset about having to get the epidural. So that morning when they checked me, I was six to seven centimeters and 90% effaced. And they gave me a peanut ball. So I was able to have that between my legs and we practiced doing the positions that we had learned in your class. So when you have an epidural and how you can still move, even though you're in the bed. I also was really happy that I could feel my legs because I thought that getting the epidural, I'd have like, you know, like the dead legs and you wouldn't be able to feel anything. 
But I guess my placement or the way that it worked worked out really well for me because I was still able to lift my legs and move everything. So I was really happy about that as well. They checked me again around two o'clock. I was still about seven centimeters, but I now was about 90% of face. And during this exam, my water broke just from them checking me. And at this point, they saw that there was meconium in my water when my water broke. So they informed us that the neonatology team would be present during delivery just in case. And they also knew that I wanted to do skin to skin right away. But they said, you know, based on how baby was when he came out, he may have to go right to the warmer just depending on how he did because they saw the meconium. Thankfully, he wasn't showing any signs of stress throughout the whole labor and delivery, but um, at least they like prepared us for that so that I knew like I might not get that skin to skin right away. So then they didn't check me again until around 7.45 that night. At that point, I was eight to nine centimeters and baby was at zero station. I was still getting the penicillin every four hours And then this is when they recommended doing a little bit of Pitocin because my contractions were tapering off again. So I was like, okay with that. The Pitocin kicked in very fast. (laughs) So I could feel like the pressure of the contractions building. And they're like, when you feel like something, feel a lot of pressure like in your butt, that means you're probably ready to push. So that happened really fast. Um, I started feeling that pressure. I was pretty nervous about the whole pushing portion just because I'm like, I've never done this, so (laughs) how do I know? But the nurse who was on call at that point, she was fantastic. She helped me do some practice pushing. It was the like typical, they coached you to do like the closed glottis pushing, the curl around your baby and push for 10 seconds, like three times per contraction. So when she first did that, I was like, oh, no, like, this isn't, like, the open glottis pushing. Like, I don't want to hurt my pelvic floor, and I I don't want to have to just be on my back. But I was like, let me just do a couple of practice pushes and see how it feels. And they were actually, like, really effective and felt good for me. And she also helped me push, like, on my side. And sometimes, like, my husband and my mom were holding my legs, so they were able to, like, do the internal rotation with my legs. So I was like, okay, like this feels really good. If I end up having a labor stall or things are taking too long, then I'm going to like advocate more for different positions and to do more of the like open glottis pushing. But since it felt good to me and I knew baby was moving, I was okay doing it that way. So I only had to push for 50 minutes, (laughs) which I was so happy because I know for first time moms, it can take, you know, 30 minutes to three hours. You never know. So I was like, okay, after this like 48-hour labor, I only had to push for 50 minutes, which was fantastic. And it was great. They like let me touch his head as he was crowning. So like that was just such an empowering feeling. All the doctors and nurses, when they were in there for the end, everybody was cheering him on as he was coming out. And it was just like the most incredible experience of my life. And they actually did bring him to my chest right away. So I got a few minutes of the skin to skin. They were kind of like aspirating him on my chest. And then once they realized how much meconium he had like aspirated, they ended up taking him to the warmer and he had to go to the NICU. So that wasn't expected. But in terms of the whole labor and delivery process, most amazing thing ever. So I would do it all again in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do after baby went to NICU? Was there anything that the staff helped guide you through to kind of like help? I don't know if you chose to breastfeed or not to like help establish that even though baby was in the NICU. 
So our plan was to breastfeed, and I knew how important it was to kind of get that going right away after delivery. So since he had to go to the NICU, I ended up having to pump. So as soon as I was in the postpartum room, they brought me a pump in and kind of showed me how to use it. And I started pumping right away because he was on a feeding tube. So then he was getting my colostrum through the feeding tube. The hospital was supposed to have a lactation consultant, but they were like in between hiring somebody new. So I kind of was pumping, but not really knew what I was doing. But I was just happy I was getting something to give the baby. Um, And I kind of ended up with like an oversupply while he was in the NICU. And it wasn't until like he was in the NICU for about 11 days. So it wasn't until the end of his stay that one of the nurses there was she was also a lactation consultant. So I call her my like angel in disguise because she really helped me like regulate my supply. And she helped me start breastfeeding him once he came off the feeding tube. So I feel like I would have been totally lost without her. So like one tip I would have is to definitely have your resources lined up for things like that because you never know what's going to happen. So even if it was like I had to call her once we got out of the NICU, like just having someone to reach out to so quickly for something like breastfeeding, I feel like is really important. Can you talk more about like your baby's time in the NICU and kind of like recovering from meconia aspiration? Because that is something that I think some folks get really nervous about. Yeah. Um, And then some folks might even be dealing with it. So could you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So like it definitely wasn't even something that we had like researched or I looked into because I didn't expect it at all. Thankfully, the NICU was just down the hall from where I was. So we were able to walk down to him almost like immediately. So he was on... um oxygen. It was called CPAP. It was helping him to get that meconium that was in his lungs out. So he was on that for about a day and they need the feeding tube at that point because they can't feed by mouth with that level of oxygen. So they kind of wean them off of the CPAP onto like the oxygen where they have it um, like in their nose, the little tubes. Once that comes off or it comes down to a certain level, they can start feeding by mouth. So once he was able to, like, come off the oxygen, then they needed to make sure he knew how to, like, eat, like, and suckle before he could go home. We were supposed to go home that Wednesday, which was, like, the day after I got discharged, and they had an extra room for us to stay in so we didn't have to go home and leave him. But then that night, he kind of took, like, a backwards turn, so his oxygen levels weren't where they wanted him. So they actually had to go back and put him back on the CPAP. And then it was like a slow process of weaning him off the oxygen, like little by little by little, which they say is a normal thing because sometimes like just the inflammation response in the body is sometimes it gets better and then it gets worse. And like the baby just needs a little extra help breathing, depending on how much meconium they took in. And also every baby is different. They said some babies, it can come, they can come off the oxygen in one day. Other babies, it can be like a few weeks So we were fortunate that the NICU had like a parent room and no one else was asking for the room because it was kind of like not that busy in the NICU at the time. So we had somewhere to stay with him the entire time, which was incredible. Um, It was really hard. Like he was on the schedule of eating every three hours. So once we could bottle feed, we were there to make sure we were doing that. And then once he could breastfeed, I was so lucky to have that lactation consultant to help me So it was a crazy experience. It ended up being okay. I know some babies are in there way longer as first-time parents or any parents. Um, It was definitely very hard for us, but we're very lucky. He came home healthy and happy. So That's awesome. 
Did you guys have any sort of like paternity leave that you got to use during that extra time in the hospital? Yeah, so I have a great policy. So I'm off for 16 weeks and my husband, his company, like literally a few weeks before the baby was born, finally put a policy into place. So he got six weeks and he can split it up however he wants. So he took three weeks up front and then he's going to take three weeks later. But he was able to be with me that entire time because honestly, I don't know how I would have done it without having him there with me just, you know, mentally, emotionally, like I'm healing You know, we're getting no sleep because even though he's in the NICU, we're still up every couple of hours in there for his feedings. I'm up pumping every two to three hours at home. He was able to come home and take care of things here because one thing is to learn to go with the flow. Like our air conditioner broke while we were in labor. So and it was like 90 degrees here. So he was able to take care of that while I was in the NICU. Then like our fridge broke. So like, I'm like, oh my gosh, all of this food we bought to stock up on like freezer things, that was all gone. So like, it was a crazy time, but we at least had each other to lean on. (laughs) (laughs) Not amazing that all that stuff broke. That's great that you guys were able to like go through it together. Because I know that's sometimes a barrier for some folks is yes, having some sort of paid leave to be able to support one another in the postpartum period. Absolutely. So do you have any advice for folks that may be encountering a similar birth situation as you like unexpected induction, induction taking what feels like forever, and then baby potentially making it into the NICU? Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice, even though I told myself this a million times during pregnancy, is to really learn to go with the flow because you never know what's going to happen, no matter how much you plan or prepare. But I feel like since we took the courses and we learned as much as we possibly could about childbirth and labor and delivery, having that knowledge just really allowed us to make empowered decisions. So even though my birth preferences didn't really go how I wanted them to, I still had an incredible experience. But I think part of that was from, you know, just being so informed. And even if you can't know everything, but you can also know what questions to ask. So I think that's a really big factor too, knowing who to go to for help if you need it. For example, I wasn't expecting anything to happen the way it did with breastfeeding, but like having those resources lined up is really helpful. And obviously just having like a great support team really makes a difference. So having my mom and my husband both there with me throughout the whole labor, that whole long process was really, really helpful. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carly, for being on the podcast and for trusting us with your birth preparation. It's really cool to hear (laughs) folks' stories who've taken our courses and then go to have a really wonderful birth experience, even if it's not exactly how you may have been hoping for. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad that we were able to help you navigate all of those different turns in your birth and that it was a really wonderful experience for you. Thank you so much and for all the information that you provide and I think you did say in your course to like write alternate birth plans in case things don't go to like how you really wanted to. Of course, I did not follow that part, but the tip would be follow that part of the course. (laughs) I don't think anybody if they're like, no, 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 I will. I know that you've been telling me this this whole time, but I will have the the birth that I exactly am planning. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us. And for those of you that are listening, feel free to reach out to share your stories with us too. We really love to hear them. 
Thanks for joining us today and listening to this episode. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education course. If you need more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness trainer courses so you can learn from us and earn CEUs. Explore all of our courses on our website at mamasafefit.com and use code STORY10 to save 10% off all of our programs. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our podcast to be notified when we release new episodes, leave a review, and share with your friends. We release new educational episodes every Wednesday and new birth stories every Friday.